0: Now, the End Abortion Podcast,
1: by Priests for Life. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis.
0: Friends and welcome to another episode of the Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis, and today I have my little co-host Howie, who decided that uh, he wanted to come up and get in on the action. So you might see him in the background, and uh, you can follow him actually on Instagram at realhowarddominic. That's his name, but we call him Howie, Uh, and he loves to get in on the action. So we're gonna allow it for today (laughs) while I'm uh, home for the holidays and uh, get to enjoy family. So uh, today, though, speaking of family and just um, you know enjoying standing for the truth and having courage, I'm. So grateful to have a part of our church family and a part of the wider swath of Christianity. My good friend uh, Father Frank Pavone is here today, and Father, you know this story broke over the weekend that um, apparently the uh, the is it the local diocese or the national? Um, you know, I wasn't quite sure with uh, which has actually removed you from the priesthood for allegedly, um, and I use that term purposefully uh, for allegedly posting blasphemous uh, messages on your Twitter and basically for standing up for pro-life. And for me, um, I am a Protestant, not a Catholic, but in terms of all of my good friends who are Catholics and who are genuine Christians, obviously standing up for pro-life is fundamental um, to the doctrine of Christianity. We know that every human being is made in the image of God, has inherent dignity and worth. That is part of Um, just doctrinally, what we are supposed to stand for and advocate for. So walk me through exactly what happened and what's going on in the Catholic Church.
1: Yes. Well, Jenna, uh, thanks for uh, letting me address this. It's so great to be on your program. First of all, you know, I'm one of your biggest fans. So uh, it's really a a personal pleasure for me to be here. This story is really what has just happened. It's The Vatican actually saying it's it's one of the worst penalties that they can impose on a priest to actually say to him, you can't function as a priest anymore. Um, Why in the world would they do something like that? When, like you said, I'm advocating not some kind of fringe doctrine, but something that's at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all of us in the body of Christ, not just Catholics to defend life. I mean, God defends life. God becomes a human life in Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating now at Christmas. So what would be the rationale? The way I read the situation is this. First of all, this has been the culmination of 20 years of battle. When I say battle, we've been doing our work that many of our audience know and support. And that's been, like you described, in the defense of these unborn babies. And in defense of public policy that protects them, uh, including electing people who are willing to protect them. We've had some great victories in that arena. Uh, But the the, uh, problem here that I've encountered is that there are certain bishops in the Catholic Church that have opposed our work. And the only reason we can discern is that they're the ones that want to be in control of the pro-life message that's coming to Catholic pro-life people in the movement. Um, it's a matter of turf war. It's a matter of, of ideological conflict. It's in fact in the church a reflection of what we've seen in the government when uh, targeting, for example, our friend President Trump with fake investigations, with fake impeachment hoaxes, lies being made up, uh, and and processes that exist for a legitimate purpose in the government being weaponized. To cancel political opponents. Jenna, that is exactly what is happening to me in the ecclesiastical realm. It is literally playbook, same kinds of things. You mentioned, uh, you know, they come up with these and they're, they're made up charges. You know, oh, blasphemous comments. What in the world are they talking about? Well, you see, just like they do with President Trump. You know, oh, well, you know, abuse of power. What in the world does that mean, right? What does blasphemous comments mean? There's a reason why they're not specifying it, because a it doesn't exist, and b if they specify anything, it's going to make them look stupid. So one of the things they complained to me about was, oh well, you know, you you said in a tweet, uh, and and I did. It was a comment to a Biden to a Biden supporter in the heat of the 2020 election. It wasn't uh, a post that I put out proactively. I was reacting, and I was reacting in a in a in a bad way. I was a little bit too angry, right? So. Um, I said I used the word "GD" in the in the in the tweet. Now that's bad, and I and I you know repented of that. But that's a reason to throw somebody out of the priesthood. There won't be any priests left. You know. we sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we 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 curse. Sometimes you know people get angry. So it's like um, no, this is mm-hmm. just that's not what they're concerned about. This has been a con- continued relentless campaign to blunt the influence of me and Priest for Life over the the pro-life movement.
0: Wow. That is just incredible. And you you mentioned the infighting and it sounds so much like the political turf wars that are within uh, the different political parties as well. And, you know, just speaking from my experience uh, with President Trump and, you know, the RNC and seeing that kind of turf war, it was so frustrating that, you know, as, as Ronald Reagan used to say, we could get so much more done if we didn't care who got the credit. That's right. And and it seems like um, that same type of politicking is going on within um, the ecclesiastical order. Um, But why would... The Catholic Church take issue with the framing of a pro life message. If I mean, obviously, nothing that I've seen as, an, you know, granted as a Protestant, uh, but as someone who is ardently pro life, um, an ardent advocate of uh, the Word of God and of the Bible and of Scriptures. I mean, nothing that you've said is remotely uh, poor, even poor phrasing, much less rising to the level of heresy or blasphemy. So, as you mentioned, I mean, it's just a pretext. But what would be their baser motivation? For as you describe this, this is like the it's the same level, basically, in my world as an attorney being disbarred. You know, so so why would they go to this extreme? And also, did they even give you an opportunity to respond to their charges if if they didn't even give you any sort of specificity?
1: Well, we did respond all through this process uh, at all the various stages in these 20 years. Uh, We've been defending ourselves strongly and uh, they uh, are not listening. It's been a one-sided thing. And, and of course, and again, we see the parallels within, within the, the, the political realm. Uh, they don't care. They don't care what I say. They don't care what my defense is. You know, they come out and say, oh, we gave him an opportunity to defend himself. Yeah, I did defend myself and you didn't listen. Uh, and, and this is part of the problem. The work we've been doing, for those that might not know, to show how ridiculous this whole thing is, we help priests to preach compassionately, the message of pro-life from the scriptures. We do seminars for the clergy and for lay people. We conduct prayer campaigns. We run the world's largest ministry for healing after abortion. Uh, we help priests compassionately bring those people to healing. I've brought former abortionists back into the, the good graces of the church and to the gospel of Christ and the salvation in his, in his blood. Uh, I received Norma McCorvey, the Jane Rowe of Roe v. Wade, into the church. Uh, we do this ministry. It's a ministry of healing and, and mercy. It's a ministry of, of teaching and preaching. And we even help the Vatican. Here you have the Vatican coming against me by, by saying you're dismissed from the priesthood. Meanwhile, if you go to their office at the United Nations, the Pope's office at the United Nations, and ask his representative about us, we're helping him every day to to do his work. We're helping the Secretary of State, this number two in the Catholic Church, to work in the international arena on pro life. So it's like there could be nothing more bizarre that we're working so closely and so positively with them, um, and they're doing and they're doing and they're doing this. So it's the turf war thing. It's it's I think a lot of it is just petty jealousies. You know, I mean, we do they're they're envious of our success. But a lot of the, I mean, the people who are supporting us and will continue to support Priests for Life are supporting us precisely because they want to see this kind of work being done in their diocese by their bishop, by their priests, and it's not getting done. So when a ministry like ours comes along, we step in, we fill the gap. That makes some bishops envious, jealous, and they get very petty about it. And that's why they try things like this.
0: Wow. So how has this, um, if it has, changed your overall perspective on uh, where the Catholic Church is today? And, you know, and clearly this is not a correct application of what the ecclesiastical order um, should promote and and ultimately should have, have rendered. Um, you know, if the same thing, and we'll just use, um, you know, the bar example, and obviously that's not a sufficient parallel because, you know, clearly the ecclesiastical order is not the same thing as a bar association. But, you know, if you look at what's happening to Rudy Giuliani, I mean, I'm in the midst of fighting my own, um, you know, bar complaints and people are calling for me to be disbarred and all this stuff. And, you know, and, and if that ever happened, like it happened to Rudy Giuliani in New York, um, I think the same parallel can be drawn that they just didn't want to listen to his defense. They didn't want to extend to him the same privileges of zealous representation and advocacy as are available to every other advocate. Um, and that type of analysis, if applied to every lawyer, we wouldn't have any lawyers left. Right. But right. it is purely political. So yeah. in my view, that taints my um the the credibility and not just my own impression of, uh, the bar licensing, um, uh, the people who are there and on the Supreme court of, of New York. Um, but that really overall, I think looks poorly on the entire profession Mm -hmm. of the legal community. And so, um, so from a, a perspective, and maybe that's a little bit of a parallel. How do you look at the leadership of the Catholic Church and whether or not they are sound in doctrine? Because the ecclesiastical order is called to a much, much, much higher standard than a bar association. But, um, But in terms of their doctrinal sufficiency and the way that the Catholic Church is now operating, um, what's your perspective now on staying within Catholicism, within um, the priesthood, if you can? Um, you know, I know that, that you have um, Priest for Life. You'll continue. Um, this doesn't impact uh, that organization unless they decide differently. But what's kind of your overall take on this?
1: Disappointment in the leadership. Uh, some of them, I'm convinced, don't believe. Uh, in the teaching some of them uh, don't believe in the gospel and they should therefore they're the ones who should not be priests uh, if they don't if they don't uh, actually believe I have more in common with uh, Christians like you and with that all over the pro-life movement uh, from all all parts of the body of Christ we have more in common with each other than I have with some of my brother priests in the in the Catholic priesthood uh, so yeah so it starts with that. Uh, the disappointment with these some of these people. Um, the second thing, though, is that we look at when we say the church, um, it's much bigger than the hierarchy of the church. It's much bigger than the clergy of, of the church. And that's the saving grace here: is that we, the body of Christ, across denominational lines. But even if one just looks in the in the Catholic Church, it's the people of God saying yes to the gospel. It's the people of God receiving the Holy Spirit, and then filled with that Spirit, doing the work of God in the world. They don't need my permission as a priest or a bishop's permission or even the Pope's permission. They already have the commission of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that he gives us. And that's the saving grace right there. It's like we've got to band together, and the response to this whole thing has been just overwhelmingly positive. People like you and our audience and, and the other pro-life leaders. I mean, it's been just, just, and, and I'm not surprised by that because that positive reinforcement is always there. Uh, and, and that's what we've got to do. We've got to band together and with the deepest respect uh, for those who hold positions of authority because we know, you know, God's word tells us to, to be respectful of authority and, and obedient where it's appropriate. But th- 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 still, nevertheless, we say we know what the gospel is. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that it doesn't give some kind of secret knowledge you know, that only certain clergy have. They only are the only ones that know the fullness of the gospel, and you know, maybe they'll give some of it to the rest of us. It's not like that. It's like Jesus said, I have spoken openly to all the world. We all know what the gospel says, and uh, therefore we can carry it out even when some of our leaders go off the track.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. And so, um, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, there it's, it's true what the Bible says. There's but one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. We don't mm. need um, a mediator. We don't need anyone to access the scriptures or the secret knowledge for us. We can go and read the Bible for ourselves and carry out the Great Commission, which is ultimately the purpose of every Christian. Once we accept the truth of the gospel and come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and understand that he is our Lord and Savior and he is himself a God, and we acknowledge that we repent for our sins, um, we accept his propitiation, his sufficiency of that gift um, of his life, death and resurrection. Um, to cover our sins and we become saved, then it should be our life's work, um, obviously along with you know uh, participation in family, the church, all of those other things, but right. it should be ultimately our life's work as Christians to promote the gospel of Christ and to impact the world for Christ as much as we can, as long as the Lord tarries. And so right. um, so that is all all true. And I, I completely agree with you. And so for some Catholics who have looked at this, and I've, I've just you know looked casually at the conversations and some of the response on social media, but some Catholics are now uh, questioning this doctrine that you know the Pope is infallible. And my perspective is, well, he's a man, so clearly he's infallible. Um, and and obviously as a Protestant, I don't buy into uh, some of that Catholic notion. But yeah. um, what's your perspective on that? And has this changed or influenced that perspective at all? What would you tell to Catholics who maybe? Uh, believe in that kind of infallibility?
1: Well, the Pope is a sinner just like the rest of us, and he would be the first to admit it. Um, We say that at the beginning of every Catholic mass, I have sinned, you know, I have sinned. And he says that publicly too. Um, And he is fallible as a man. Uh, So, you know, the Pope can have a wrong idea and it's perfectly okay to disagree with that wrong idea. Uh, the, The teaching about infallibility is actually very much more narrow than um, a lot of Catholics think it is, uh, or other Christians might think it is. It only applies to things that the whole church throughout the ages has already accepted and believed. In other words, it's referring more to that. The, the, the section in Scripture, you know, where Jesus says to Peter, you know, strengthen your brethren. Well, strengthen your brethren in what? In the teaching that I, Jesus Christ, have given to you. So in other words, it's not saying that the Pope as a man, uh, whatever he says is correct. It's not That's not what it means. What it means is when he stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ in union with what the church has always believed from the time we got the gospel from Jesus Christ, then that's infallible. In other words, because it's the Holy Spirit guiding the whole body of Christ. So really it's a teaching which, you know, if we delve into it more... It's a teaching that I think more Christians can can say, well, you know, we maybe we're closer on this than we than we think, because it's not about the pope as a man. Uh, it's about the spirit guiding the church. But as we said, that same spirit guiding that same church also gives witness in our own hearts. And as we read the word and you know, we as a people hold the faith and proclaim it and and uh, and teach it. And, and we got to we got to keep it in that perspective.
0: Yeah. And I love the way that you describe that. And um, and it sounds very similar or, or much closer to the doctrine of infallibility that Protestants would uh, would teach in terms of the infallibility of Scripture and of scripture, you know, yeah. doctrine um, can be modified. We need to make sure that we are rightly dividing Scripture as right. uh, the New Testament admonishes and that we are uh, dividing truth from error and that we read and interpret and apply the scriptures correctly. But uh, God himself as the person of truth is infallible. And of course, the scriptures are sufficient um, to address our sin problem and address how we can live. As Christians, even though we still sin and we repent and then uh, we continue on our faith journey. And so if we're talking about the infallibility of God and scripture, then um, then I think you're probably correct that we are much closer um, on those doctrines um, than some Catholics who may think um, who may think otherwise. And I hope that they're listening to this and understanding that, you know, maybe they have been misled or they've, um, they have misunderstood some of those scriptures and, you know, just like some of the divisions in the, um, evangelical ecclesiastical order, um, to say that, you know, well, I follow this person will I follow that person. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so for example, like my former client, John MacArthur, who is a brilliant expositor of scripture, um, is someone who I love and respect, but he himself is not infallible. Um, and, right. and it's almost like if you disagree with anything, John MacArthur says, oh my gosh, immediately labeled a heretic. I'm going, wait a second. We can disagree with him. We can't disagree with what the scripture itself teaches. And that should be our goal, not to what does John MacArthur think, but what does God himself tell us? And that should be our goal, not to follow men, whether it's John MacArthur or the Pope or some other preacher, but to ultimately follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, and- well, that's,
1: that's why, Jenna, you know, I'm defending myself against this latest action because, you know, they're saying, oh, well, Father Frank has been disobedient to his bishop over the years. No, I haven't. Uh, but if they tell me to stop doing the work of God, to stop speaking against abortion, to stop saving these babies, to stop healing women who have had abortions. How can I obey that? How can I walk away from the work God has given me in the Holy Spirit to do? And this ties in with just what we're saying right now, that it our ultimate loyalty. No matter what we believe about hierarchical authority in the church, and there's a lot of differences about that in the body of Christ, no matter what we believe about that, our first loyalty is to Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if he gives us a call, if he gives us a mission, and especially if that mission is such a common sense thing, like, gee, maybe we ought to stop killing babies, we can't walk away from that.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. And you know, these institutions that God has ordained and given legitimate authority to— as an authority structure um the church the family and civil society clearly we have seen that um you know families can be abusive of their authority um you know husbands can be abusive to wives parents can be abusive to children um, and certainly governors can be abusive to citizens and hmm. presidents and other structures but it's the same within the authority structure of the church right. um, these men who are in the church as members of the ecclesiastical order and i say men for a reason Yeah. Uh, that are actual office holders of the ecclesiastical order, if they go outside of their legitimate authority and they start imposing rules that are adding or subtracting to scripture um, additions, like saying you can't speak the pro-life message or subtractions like some of these um, bishops or some of these other um, Episcopal ministers who are saying, sure, you can be an LGBT, uh, you know, affirming pastor. Well, that's obviously subtracting from scripture. So they are now outside of their legitimate authority because they are no longer uh, taking the authority from God and exercising it in a legitimate manner. And we are called to not obey man, but obey God.
1: We're on the same page with that. That's exactly right. Those are my sentiments exactly. And that's what I've been saying. And Actually, not just in this current incident, but like I say, we've been having this battle for 20 years against certain, certain leaders in the church who think that uh, you know they have a reason to, to stop our pro-life work. This work will continue uh, uh, because the people see it as a good work. The people know in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus, that it's a good work. And that's why I'm so grateful for their support and, and yours as well.
0: Uh, well, I 100% support you. I'm so grateful for you, and I'm grateful that you're standing up in courage because this is giving me courage that you know if if the worst ever happened, and you know for some reason with all the political attacks coming at me and other um, people of the Trump allies, you know I can stand firm no matter what comes at me if I'm um, you know similarly defrocked, you know kind of thing and and uh, and disbarred, which I you know is um, pray for me that that doesn't happen, and I don't think that it will. But ultimately, if it does. The whole point is I have represented faithfully what I am supposed to in my line of work. I faithfully represented Christ. Right. Um, I have done what is right. And if someone else says for a political reason uses something as a pretext, well, then you know, then that, that's not going to stop my work or my ministry. And so exactly. I think that you are a great example of how people need to respond to these types of life changing and very discouraging circumstances and say, you know, doesn't what can man do to me because right. I right. serve the Lord. And so I'm grateful for you. What are your next steps? And just the last few minutes I have with you, um, how can people continue to support you, to encourage you? Um, what is your plan now?
1: Well, our work is going forward without delay, without hindrance whatsoever. My team, my board, my pastoral staff are with me a thousand percent. And the best way people can help us is what they've been doing all along. Stay involved with our projects, our prayer campaigns, get our emails, connect with us on social media, donate to us if you're led to do so endabortion.us is the website, and they'll find the opportunity to do all those things. And of course, Jenna, as you would well know, our political advocacy is clear and firm, and that's going to be louder and clearer than ever before. Uh, so people can join us in that. I would just invite people, if you don't know what we do, check it out. I think you're going to be encouraged, and you'll find a place for your efforts, not just for Catholics, as we've been saying. This is for anyone who wants to end abortion. So it's endabortion.us. Let's show these these misguided bishops that the people of God are standing with the good work of God and uh, connecting mm-hmm. with us is one way you can do that.
0: Amen to that. And I think you are such a brilliant example of how uh, men of faith and people of faith can engage and should engage with politics to make sure that our policy and our government ultimately reflects truth and we can continue to proclaim the gospel until he comes. So thank you so much, uh, Father. I always love spending time with you. Um, I am one of your biggest fans as well. And so, um, you know, as soon as I heard the news yesterday, I had to contact you and tell you that I support you. I love you. And thank you so much for standing firm on the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I respect you for what you're doing. Continue on your great work and uh, come and talk to me anytime about what uh, great work you're accomplishing for our Lord.
1: Well, you're the best. Keep up your good work as well. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon.
0: Thank you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast.